Well, listen, um, we are, we're finishing up uh, a collection of talks where we've been talking about Jesus being a friend of sinners. And uh, this is one of the, uh, the things that, that Jesus' enemies and his followers struggled with because Jesus tended to hang out with people that weren't like him. Um, it seems to me, as I read through the Bible, Jesus creates tension everywhere he goes. The words that he speaks, the, the teachings that he has create tension. And, and we don't like tension. Um, we we, we, we want to resolve tension. We don't like to have to hold things in tension. And, and even, even back in Jesus' day, people couldn't understand why, why he, a holy rabbi, son of God, Messiah, would want to hang out with people who were nothing like him. And so he was always going out to people and like eating with and and talking with and ministering to and healing and accepting and even calling people to follow that were sinners. Like some of them still unrepentant. He would, he would call and say, hey, you come, come, come follow me. And to be honest, if what we know to be true is that we tend to be much, much more tolerant of the sin in our own lives and much less tolerant of the sin in other people's lives. Like, like your sin makes, makes me kind of feel uncomfortable. My sin, I'm, I'm used to. Like there's, there's areas and, and struggles that I, that I walk in. And when we see people that are struggling in other areas, it makes us feel very, very uncomfortable. And there's a tension. And the tension is what I want to talk about today. Um, there's, there's a tension that, that every single one of us, there's a tension that Jesus was in, there's a tension that, that he placed in, in, in most, of, most of the uh, conversations that he had. So I need, I have a little, a little fun little thing I wanna do here. So I just need two people that would be willing to come here. It doesn't, you don't have to have any special um, abilities other than to hold a rope. Can you, if you can hold a rope, hope most of you can do that, then come right up. Please, Mimi, that's awesome. One more person, oh, Emily, awesome. Just hold that end of the rope there. And you can stand right there and then you can stand over here, Em. Hold on to this side of the rope over here, and I'll kind of hold the middle. So, um, and kind of like pull a little bit, like not too much though, a little more. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, Mimi. All right, so <laughs> Emily's like, I'm going to take you out. Um, so there's this, there's this tension that, um, that Jesus walked in and that we struggle with. And it's, I, I'm using two ropes because I want to kind of show it. Um, in a way that you can see it. And it's a tension between grace and truth. The tension between grace and truth. Um, and it's this question that we all struggle with if you've been a Christian for any length of time of like, like what if I show someone grace and they, they mistake my grace for condoning their sin? Like, or how do I, how do I like walk in truth and like hold up the law of God and not like trample on people in the midst of it. Like how do I speak, like, like the word of God says, speak the truth in love? Like what does that look like? And it becomes harder and harder and harder for, um, for us to do that in, in our day. It was no less hard for Jesus to do it in, in his day. And in a, in a if I boil it down, it kind of boils down to this, this reality that for, for many of us, myself included, like we don't know how to hold in tension our, our own conviction without feeling like we have to condemn somebody else. 
Like, how do I hold on to the truth of God? You can be the truth. Um, how do I hold on to the truth of God without having to let go of the grace of God? And how do I hold on to the grace of God and not feel like I have to let go of the truth of God? Like, how do I love people and yet also hold a conviction in the midst of it? And so the world around us, and, and I think we're tempted to always want to cut the tension. We hate Tension. We hate tension in rooms, in conversations, in relationships. We'd much rather just walk away from tension or just, or just honestly just kind of let go of it because we don't want to fight it. Or we'll kind of just decide one way to let go of tension is to just hold on to one. Like, I'm just going to hold on to the grace of God because I love the grace of God and Jesus is full of grace and full of grace and he's amazing and he loves people and he loves, loves, loves. And yet we're walking away and not holding up the standard of the law of God and the truth of God because I'm so concerned about the grace of God. Or on the other side of things, you can just decide, I'm gonna let go of the grace of God. I'm gonna hold on to the truth of God. Why? Because, well, that's the one thing that I can stand on. I can stand on the promises of God. I can stand on the truth of God. And you know what? I can preach the truth of God. I don't have to do it in love. I'm just preaching the truth. And then we end up trampling on people. Oh, it's their fault. It's their issue. It's not my issue. I told them the truth. What they do with that is up to them. And that's their eternity. And uh, my job is just to do that. And, and, and I think that the hardest thing and the thing that we see Jesus do so well is to hold the tension. Jesus has this unreal ability to, to truly hold the truth of God and love people at the same time, to hang out with sinners, eat with tax collectors, spend his days and ask fishermen, unrepentant fishermen to follow him and yet he's able to hold on to both of these and doesn't feel like he has to give one up in order to do the other. Does that make sense? And it is also this same tension that, that, that made his enemies and his followers struggle. It's the same tension that also made, made a way for you to be saved because Jesus looked at you he looked at you and thought of you and thought, it, and thought you were worth the risk and worth holding that, that tension together. And it would be so much easier just to allow yourself to give yourself way to one or the other rather than to hold these two things in tension. That makes sense? So, all right, cool. Thank you, guys. You could let go. I know, right? And double dutch. Let's go. Now you're good. So, um, you know, this... So that's what I want, to, I want to talk about today is this, this tension that, that so many of us feel and, and struggle with in, in, in our life. And, and I want to just make this, this, this plea that we're called to hold the same tension that Jesus held. And yes, it's messy. And yes, it's, uh, it gets really difficult. And, and we're all faced with relationships in our life or situations in our life where um, we don't quite know how to act and what to do. And it's easier just, just to let go. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so today we're going to look at an encounter in John chapter 8. And if you've got your Bibles or you version app, turn to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at um, an encounter of a woman caught red-handed. And um, for me, it's one of the most incredible moments of Jesus holding tension almost to the point of awkwardness. Jesus holds the tension of grace and truth at the same time. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's word, 
because God has much more to say more than what I might. John chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 2 through 11. It says, as at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And Jesus bent down and started writing to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Lord, I pray that as we, as we look at this, this tension that that you held so well, uh, that you hold so well as you look at my life. Um, I thank you for that. May we walk in just utter gratitude that you speak truth and love and grace and truth. You are 100% all the time. We thank you for that. I pray that you'd help us to just understand um, your heart and may we figure out ways to show that into the lives of people that, that need both grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So, so Jesus is like um, in one of the most holy places on earth. He's, he's at the, the temple, which at that day, I mean, this was like the, the pinnacle of places, right? And, and he's busy teaching. The Bible says that he's, he's sitting down and he's, and he's teaching a crowd of people until everything is interrupted. And we see it happen in verse three. The, the, uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. So this must have been a spectacle. Um, I... You're, you're sitting down, you're in the middle of a class, you're, you're teaching people in the temple courts and all of a sudden there's this big hubbub and a bunch of men are dragging this woman and there's probably all kinds of noise happening and all of a sudden this like nice day of you just bringing some teaching gets interrupted by, by this crowd of people that are, uh, are coming to really kind of sabotage everything that you're, that you're up to. And it says that they made her stand before the group. And I just want you to think about like how, how terrified and ashamed that must have felt for her. Not only we don't even know what they caught her in, what all that looked like, but to be brought in a holy place before all of these holy people and made to stand. You, you, you can't even hide your face and get down on the ground. Like, you know, you have to stand in front of all these people and, um, and be condemned in the, in the midst of all of it. And verse four, it says, and to... They, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And I'm like, for me, that statement comes with a whole lot of thoughts and a whole lot of questions. Like, like you all witnessed this? <laughs> How did that happen? Not only that, like, 
where's the dude? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, last, thing, last time I checked, it takes two to tango. You can't commit adultery by yourself. And yet, yet she just, she's dragged in here all by herself. Y'all saw it and somehow the guy's not, not involved. And so before you can even ask any questions or bring any clarification, they start quoting the law to Jesus. And they're like, they start quoting the law of Moses in the holiest place on earth. They're like, verse five, they're like, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And then they, they kind of want to have this drop the mic moment. And they're like, what do you say, Jesus? And, and there's a little explanation here in verse six. It says they were using this question as a trap in order to, to have a basis for accusing him. And so they're creating like a trap of, of tension. They're, they're essentially like, Jesus, you got to let go of one rope. Which one are you letting go of? You going to let go of grace or are you going to let go of truth? But you can't hold on to both of them. Moses, the law of Moses says you got you to stone this woman for what she's done. So what do you say, Jesus? And so he's, he's kind of caught in the middle. Or they're wanting to at least put Jesus in this like crucible of like, okay, you say all this grace, this, this love, this, all of the forgiveness, all of this kind of stuff. But then there's also the law. So, so which rope are you going to let go of? Because if you let go of the truth rope... And you're like, you know what? It's okay, sweetie. Like, I, I, I forgive you. You're, 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 you know, your sin is, is okay. Then you trample on the law of God, and then now you're a heretic. And they're like, gotcha. Or you can let go of the, the grace rope and, and then just begin stoning her. And then you end up trampling her, literally. And then they trample on your whole, oh yeah, love, grace, 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 grace. Yeah, oh, oh, I hear you, Jesus. Like, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will kill you, right? Like, I mean, like, oh yeah, that's, that's great, Jesus. Yeah, okay. So now all of a sudden, like, he has this tension that he's holding on to, and they're literally telling him, like, which one are you gonna let go of? Do I kill her to honor the law, or do I show grace to her and be a heretic? And this is the very same tension that every single one of us faces. Maybe not so intensely, hopefully. Hopefully you're not in, in that exact place. But it's the question of this. Do I cut the tension and let go of one of the ropes? Which is honestly so much cleaner. Or do I hold the tension, which is like so risky, so messy, and, and much more difficult? And I want you to see what Jesus did here in verse 6. It says, this is how he responds. He says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, uh, uh, what? I'm sure these guys are like, excuse me, what? this wasn't an option. This is not arts and crafts time. Like, you, you have to pick. That wasn't an, you have to pick a side, Jesus, Either you will, you will be a judgmental conservative or a flaming liberal, but you don't get to just doodle in the dirt. It's not an option. We put you in this place. You have to make a decision and pick a side. Which side are you going to pick? You either need to like all of my Facebook posts or block me forever. <laughs> but you can't just like be my friend but not follow. You can't do that. You, you have to pick a side. And they're, they're literally pushing Jesus to say, which side are you on? 
And Jesus, like everybody wants to know like what Jesus was writing in the dirt. I don't know about you. I'm like, what was he writing? And there's, I was all week long, I'm like, I'm reading different commentaries of like, what, what was it that Jesus was writing in the dirt? Here's a reality, none of us really know. So I, but I was reading people, some people thought like, oh, he was writing like the names of the people, all, all the people in the crowd who's writing their names in the dirt, right? Some people think, oh, not only that, he was maybe like, he was probably writing their sin down, like lust or greed. I don't know. Maybe some people think, you know, so he's drawing the Amway plan, multi-level marketing. I, I have no idea, but nobody, nobody thought that. Nobody thought that. But here's my point. I got to the point where I was like, so I, I probably spent a half an hour reading into all of this stuff. And I got to the point where I realized that I was so consumed with figuring out what Jesus was writing that I was failing to see how Jesus was responding. I think it matters kind of little what he was writing. Because if it actually was important, I think people would have written that down. That what Jesus was writing. And I think it's more important that you see how Jesus is responding. See, the enemy always wants you to react, always wants you to give an answer, respond. Do so. Jesus always responds rather than reacting. I mean, they're, they're literally like, ah, we got you. Here's the issue. Which, which, which rope? And he's like, excuse me for a second. Just gonna just doodle in the dirt over here. Like, are you kidding me right now? You have to answer. Either you block me or you like me, but you can't just, you can't just doodle in the dirt like this. What if responding looks a whole like some, some like, like, like not responding or not reacting all the time? What if responding sometimes looks like James 119, which says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That, I haven't. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Like, what if, what if the fruit of the Spirit, like if we take a cue from the playbook of Jesus, what if the fruit of the Spirit is responsibility, like the ability to respond? Rather than feeling like we have to always react to every critic, like, like we're always placed in this place of like, well, I have, to say, I have to do this, I have to say this, I have to answer this. Like, I mean, what would it look like if we took a cue from Jesus' playbook and stopped feeling like we have to be so quick to react to our critics and start just responding to the people that are right in front of us? Like he wasn't responding to the crowd of people that were just really trying to trap him in tension anyway. He was more concerned with this woman that was standing in front of him. So even in his response, he doodles in the dirt rather than answers them. And so he's, he's writing, and they're still goading him. I want you to understand this. This wasn't like they were all like, oh, what's he writing? What's he, did he write your name? What's he writing? And he's just like making smiley faces and fish, right? Nobody knows what he wrote in here, but they're still, this didn't satisfy them. They weren't like, oh, Jesus is being profound. He's writing in the dirt. They keep asking him. We see it in verse seven. They're like, when they keep on questioning him, they're like, excuse me, Jesus, we asked you a question and it demands an answer. It says that he straightened up and he said to them, this is kind of one of the most quoted things that we kind of stand behind, right? It's like, he says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And we're like, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome. And it's probably one of the most quoted out of context quotes of Jesus, right? Because if we really think about this, this, what Jesus is saying here, I don't believe that Jesus is saying only people who have never sinned can punish someone. And that would be crazy. That would, that would be, that'd be nuts. Nobody would ever get punished for anything. Like your kids would be brats because you'd be like, well, I've sinned before. I, I lied once and so I can't really say. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? No. If we went by this way of like understanding what Jesus is saying, then serial murderers would just be running amok because after all, let ye who has sinned cast the first. Are you kidding? This, that would make no sense. They would have laughed at him. Like that's, that's ridiculous. And you would have too. If that's the way what Jesus was, was saying. I think what Jesus was saying is that he wasn't dishonoring the law. I think he was actually honoring the law more than they were. Let me explain what I, what I mean. Like, the Jewish law may have seemed harsh because you're like, they actually did stone. Yeah, they, that was part of it, right? Like, there were stonings and all kinds of things. Like, it may have seemed harsh, but it was actually pretty specific and, and actually higher than the courts, you know, in America. Here in America, you just have to convince, you know, a, a jury of your peers that you did it or you didn't do it. But like, Back then, for, for this woman to be found guilty, she had to have two eyewitnesses. And not like hearsay, but like I heard or somebody told me. It's two eyewitnesses of, of this, thing, this thing happening. And the fact that the man was not brought with the woman is proof of one of two things. One, they were guilty of showing partiality. They're like, well, bring the, brought the woman in, but we let the guy go. Get your clothes on. Go, go, go. Come on, go run. So they're guilty of showing partiality because they didn't bring him along with them, right? Which no good judge shows partiality. Or, or two, they're, they're guilty of false witness because they, they actually didn't see with their own eyes and two eyewitnesses the act, the act of adultery. So see, without the man um, being here as well, there's actually no way of them not being guilty of sinning themselves because something's wrong here in this situation. This, this, do, this, this doesn't add up. And so Jesus is essentially saying to them, I'm not denying the law like you're trying to get me to do. In fact, by the law, I deny you the right to be here accuser and executioner. And so verse eight, look what he does again. Again, he stooped down. <laughs> And he writes on the ground again. Just starts doodling in the dirt. I think the interesting thing is that Jesus, it says two times here in this John chapter eight, it says that he stooped down. This woman was, was forced to stand the entire time. A lot of times, I don't know if you've watched movies about this or whatever, the woman's always like down like this and Jesus is down there with her. Now she's standing. Jesus is the only one kneeling. He has to straighten up every time to address her and address the crowd. He's bent down. The first time he says he bent down. The second time he says that he stooped down to, to write in the dirt. It makes me think, like, if you truly take a stand for something, get low. Like, I, I, I really believe that for some of us, 
we need to let our humility speak louder than our arguing. What would it look like rather than feeling like you have to react to every critic to just respond with humility in the midst of it? Jesus gets down and writes in the dirt. And he goes on in verse nine, it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Notice she's still standing. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you. I think many times we fail to recognize the wonder-working power of forgiveness in our life. I mean, I know that you're like, well, I've been forgiven, I've saved. And like, I, I think that sometimes we don't just dwell in that and realize the power of forgiveness. Do you realize that like, that yes, there's power in repentance and power in, in confession of your sin, but when you have received forgiveness for your sin, there is actual wonder working power to cause you to be able to live in the spirit what you could not live out in the flesh. Think about this. Have you ever met someone whose life was changed by feeling condemned? Have you ever, like, maybe, have you ever met somebody who's like, yeah, you know, like, my life was really going downhill. I was going down the wrong path. And then I met somebody who shamed me and condemned me and hated on me, and it just changed my life forever. You ever, you ever met anyone? Like, has, has condemnation ever led to transformation in your life? Like, have you ever been like, yeah, you know, I was really having a hard time, but then somebody just shamed me real good, and then... Man, my life has been awesome ever since. No! And yet we sometimes think that shame and condemnation and all of those things are the things that are going to bring the transformation that we so, so, so desire. It usually leaves us locked up and feeling like there's no way out. Like if anger and condemnation could bring about the change that we all want, then Facebook would be the most life-giving platform on the planet. Wouldn't it? I mean, if this was true, we'd be like, man, I just can't wait to get on Facebook to just like inspire my life. But that's not true. That's not true at all. Romans chapter two, verse four says that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, we're all like, yes, no condemnation in Christ. Yes, forgiveness and grace. Yes, people love this story. Like, non-Christians love this story because Jesus comes off with, like, this full of grace. It's like a Hallmark movie, man. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. Like, drop the mic, roll the credits, like, pop the popcorn. This is amazing. Like, I, I love this Jesus. And, and, it's, and it's awesome until Jesus comes in and ruins the entire moment in verse 11 because it's not done yet. Like, the, the credits are starting to roll, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's verse 11b that he like ends with, and it says this, go now and leave your life of sin. Like, hold up, what just happened here? Because um, this meek and mild Jesus, like I don't, neither do I condemn you and all of these types of things. Like what Jesus does not say here is, oh, you do you. You're fine, you know, like, you just sin really. It's not really that bad. Like, hocus pocus, Jiminy Cricket, don't let haters hate. Like, come on, like, you're fine, sweetie. I know life's been really tough, and just keep doing what you're doing. Don't let these guys get you down. It's not what he says. 
It's actually the opposite. He literally says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. So what is he saying? He's like, you're guilty. He's like, you're guilty of living a life of sin, not just guilty of sinning. Like, you're guilty of living a life of sin. He says to this woman who's like, neither do I condemn you, sweetie, and like all of these things, and who now, who's around? Nobody's throwing the stone and all these types of things. And Jesus is like, go now and leave your life of sin. Like, you're guilty. I just need you to understand this, though. But this is the best day of your life because I don't condemn you. And this, the thing that I love about Jesus is that he's not condemning, but he's also not compromising. The tension. Hold the tension. It's this, um, you know, everyone wants to let go of one of the ropes. And this is kind of where we're at right now as a, as a culture, if we're really honest, guys. Like, this is where we're at. Like, I got I to gotta either let go of the truth rope so that I can love people and be accepted and they know that I love them, or I let go of the grace rope and... I'm just holding on to truth and then nobody else wants to be around me. <laughs> and what do I do? How do I hold those two things? How do I, how do, I do this? Because in the face of our current culture, this is, this is the, it's the same thing that the Pharisees did when they brought the woman in. It's this, if you love me, then you can't call any of my choices sin. And if you truly love me, then, then you have to agree with everything that I want to be to do to act. Or you don't truly love me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> and he holds the tension. And he's like, no, I can disagree with you. But that doesn't mean I have to demonize you to make me feel better about my convictions. And I can still love you. Hold the tension. Because Jesus never watered down the truth and he also never turned down the grace. 100% truth, 100% grace, 100% of the time. Let me read it for you. John chapter one, verse 14. The same author says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. He always called sin, sin, and he even called sinners, sinners, like to their face, to the point where it was awkward. We're like, dang, you're like at a party with a bunch of sinners, and you're like, hey, sinners need help too, don't they? Like, I mean, literally just says it in front of them. Like, I mean, that would be awkward, right? We don't even like to call anything sin anymore. And he's just like, yeah, this is, this is the truth. This is what it's at. But they knew that he loved him because he held so good the tension of grace and truth. Because not only did he call sin, sin, he was willing to lay down his life for those people to pay the price for their sin. Jesus was all grace, and all truth, all the time. And some of you, you grew up in grace and you lacked truth truth. You grew up in a church, maybe it was all grace, all grace, all grace, and you, you're like, man, I just, I didn't get enough truth in my life. Maybe you grew up in an all truth, you know, we just got truth, 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 or just shoved down my, but no grace. And if you're a good parent, you know that love is grace and truth, isn't it? Like love is all grace and all truth all the time. It's, it's love is holding those two things in tension. Love is why your kids keep doing the same thing that drives you crazy and you don't kill them. You actually love them. 
which is crazy because don't you see, like I'm looking at you like, your kid, I don't know, right? But you're like, no, no, don't you talk about my kid that way. 100% grace, 100% truth all the time. Hold the tension. Allow yourself, don't allow the crowd to tell you that you have to let go of a rope. Now it's messy. I know it's messy. But I believe that we're called to, if we're walking in and following Jesus, then we're called to figure out how to hold that tension. We're called to stand in the middle of it. And letting go of one or the other is not being Christ-like. Because grace without truth is meaningless. And truth without grace is mean. (laughs) But holding the tension of grace and truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you, for me, and for a world that desperately needs it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> I, was, um, I was eating breakfast with a, with a pastor. He's, a, he's an older man, and um, he, he, he's ministered in China for over, well over a decade. When you're with somebody like that, you, um, at least I do, I, I, I kind of shut up and I just listen a whole lot more. <laughs> and I literally said in the middle, midst of our, of our breakfast, I'm like, I, I don't need to talk. Like, whatever I would say would be stupid. Like, I just want to listen. Just tell me stuff. I was taking notes and things like that. <laughs> like, that was a good. And uh, he says something to me that's been rolling around in me all week. He... Um, he said that one time he was teaching some, some Chinese Bible students and uh, they, one of the students a- asked a question. He said, he said, what's the difference between an American Christian and a Chinese Christian? And so this pastor was like, I, I don't know, but I have a feeling that, that you have an answer in mind. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, I think I do. And this is, this is what this Chinese believer wrote or said to him. He says, Chinese Christians ask God what they should give up in order to have a closer relationship with Jesus. American Christians ask what they can get away with and still be a Christian. Yeah. I was like, ouch, that's true. Which sounds more like what the normal Christian life should look like. Like Jesus is always calling (laughs) undeserving people who don't have their act together. He's saying, come, follow me. But fair warning, if, if you follow him, he'll lead you away from your sin. (laughs) Like in other words, like we don't get to follow Jesus and also continue to follow our sin because they're in different directions. We're talking about grace and truth. Like it, just get somebody to encounter Jesus and start following him, and those things will take care of themselves. Why? Because as we follow him, we're we're leaving away our life of sin. I think essentially Jesus is saying to this woman in adultery, I think he's saying to me, to you, to every single one of us, he's like, I've forgiven you. Now go act like it live like a free and forgiven person. 
Live out of that freedom. Live differently. And as we sing this, this song today, I, um, I want to end this, but like I, I just want to encourage you, and I'm going to get kind of an application point to pray into today. I just want to encourage you to like pick the ropes back up again. Maybe, maybe you've dropped one and you've, you, you just realize like maybe, maybe you've, you've dropped the truth rope and, and you're not leaving your sin because you're not even actually acknowledging it as sin and you're just holding on to grace, right? Or maybe in some of your lives you've dropped the, the grace rope and you're just, you're holding on to, to truth and, and you're living in legalism or pride and uh, you're always right, but you're all wrong. I just want to encourage you, like, as we, as we sing today, like, just ask the Lord, like, God, what, what, where am I not holding the tension in my life and, and what rope am I loosening my grip on? Allow me to just hold on to both, realizing that that's what I've been called to as a Christian, to, to hold on to grace and truth at the same time, and it's messy, and, I, and I'm sure I'll mess it up at times, but I don't ever want to let go of one of those two. Allow me to read this over you this morning as we, right before we sing. It's Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Let's just take a moment and thank God, our Savior, who is full of grace and full of truth. Amen? Let's worship together.